Okay, so today's daf is Mem Gimel in Yoma. We are uh, on Mem Bet Amud Bet, about 16 lines from the bottom of the Amud, uh, where it says Amar Ula, the end of the line. Amar Ula, Ula said, Kola Parasha Kula. When we're talking really about Para Aduma right now, which uh, would seem to be off the topic of uh, Yom Kippur, but actually there's a lot of halachot that the uh, Avodav Yom Kippur has in common with the Para Aduma, which is why it's brought here. Um, and uh, as that that was the original connection, but also just in general, there's an overlap between the two subjects. So, uh, the whole parasha has certain psukim where we are excluding. In other words, you have a halacha that's taught and then is excluded by a subsequent halacha, a subsequent pasuk, and then you have certain halachot where. Uh, the conditions or the statement of the previous pasuk is, is continued into the next pasuk. So you have to know uh, which psukim, which times uh, a, a pasuk is meant to exclude what was stated in the previous pasuk and when it's just continuing on and it doesn't mean to exclude the conditions uh, mentioned in the previous pasuk. So Rashi explains, he says, uh, the uh, some of them, it says that, uh, that it's motzi miklal, Sometimes whatever the previous pasuk said was good, this one is saying is not good. And sometimes it's shemit <laughs> kaimin, it's holding on to it, that uh, it doesn't mean to exclude. Uh, and, and therefore you have to look at each pasuk individually, and that's what really the Gemara is going to do now, now uh, with these psukim of paradma unutatem otayl elazar kohen. So you have to give the, the red uh, heifer to... Uh, meaning that that generation, you had to give it to Elazar Kohen, but not in the future. So what does that mean? Obviously, Elazar is not here anymore. I mean, there might be some random person named Elazar Kohen, but that's not the same person. So obviously, <laughs> the Dorot, it couldn't be Elazar Kohen. What does it mean? So, so some say that means they have to upgrade. Elazar Kohen was only the uh, Sagan. Right, he was the assistant. So you have to go up and only a coin gadol. Some say you go down. It doesn't have to be the sagan. It doesn't have to be the assistant. It could even be the a regular kohen. And that's what the halacha is. Even a regular kohen can perform the para aduma. In the future, that's why it says only this one had to be done by Elazar Kohen. Now it makes sense to say that the regular Kohen is allowed to do the para aduma. Where would you get such an idea? That uh, that the Kohen Gadol is responsible to do the paraduma, the, you know, in the future. Why why would that be a concept at all? Gemar Chuka Chuka Miyom Kippurim Kasir. It says Chuka. It's talking about Zot Chuka the Torah. This is the 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 uh, the uh, <coughs> statute, the fixed statute of the Torah. When it talks about the Avodah Yom Kippur, it also says Chuka. It says the idea of a fixed statute, and just like over there, it has to be the Kohen Gadol. So to here, it would have to be the Kohen Gadol. That's Gzera Shavat. It's two words Chuka Chuka, right? So Vaotziota. So uh, it says you should bring it again, just like it said untatem ota. Give it Elazar Kohen. Here it says veotziota shelo yotziacheretima. You should not go out with another animal together with the paraduma. Like say, look, look, we're going to do the shchita of the paraduma. I also need to have hamburger, so I'm going to take also my uh, para from home. And since I have the knife, I'll finish that and I'll do. I, I don't know, whatever. He, he shouldn't take another one. It says in the Mishnah Let's say you had the paraduma was being very difficult. They didn't want to go. Because remember, it's a uh, so so maybe it wants to go with a friend. Sometimes you know, somebody it doesn't want to go alone, but maybe you can encourage it to go. So in motzinima shchoa shouldn't bring with it a uh, a black uh, cow, 
right? Shelo yomur shchoa shachtu. So they won't think that they slaughtered the uh, black one. Vein motini ma'aduman. Don't bring another pa'aduma with it. Shelo yomur shtaim shachtu. They won't think that you did too, because that's to be one at a time. In other words, even though the the paraduma might be giving you a hard time, it doesn't want to go out. You shouldn't add like a companion to the paraduma because people will misunderstand how the ritual is working. And they're going to think uh, what. It's Gizrata Just wait and see what it says. It will explain it to you. You, you. you have to be patient. You're a doctor. You have patience. You have to have patience here too. Okay? Now it says, uh, so it says, so, uh, so it says, Rabbi Ama Omer Rabbi, and it says that it shouldn't be Rabbi, but I think it'd be uh, uh, Rabbi Shimon, or no, Rabbi Yossi. Okay? Right. So uh, what is it? What do you have? Rabbi Yossi, you have, right? Right? That's not the reason. Levada. That's why it says it says ota. In other words, one is saying um, is giving the Mishnah just said a reason. It said don't bring out two parot adumot because people will think that you did two. You did a double and actually you combine the two and you're not allowed to do that, right? And Rabbi Yos says no, 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 no. It's a pasuk. It says ota like what we saw before, right? Well, now explaining the pasuk maybe. Yeah, right. In other words, the, the word ota <laughs> means you can only bring one out. That's what Rabbi Yossi is saying. So, Vitanakama haketivota. Doesn't the Tanakama agree that that's, that's the meaning of the Pasuk? So it says, Man Tanakama, Rabbi Shimoni, Didarishta Medikra. We have a general, that's, a, that, that's sort of the answer to both of your questions, right? Which is that according to, the, so you have a Pasuk that tells you a certain thing. According to Rabbi Shimon, you can, then, and this is a general method of Rabbi Shimon throughout the Shas. He'll interpret the, in, the, what we derive from the Pasuk in some kind of a logical way. Say, oh, well, you know why? It's not that he's denying that the Pasuk says Ota. He's just saying it, there's a logical reason for it. You know why it says you're only supposed to bring out one? Because otherwise people will get, be confused. Just like, you know, there's a very fa- one of the most famous ones is that Rabbi Shimon says, oh, there are many reasons. He gives reasons why you leave Pe'ah from the corner of the field. What? You don't need a reason. The Torah says leave the corner of the field. No, the reason is because this, this, this. He gives reasons, right? So the point is that he interprets the reasoning behind the psukim. So to here he's interpreting the reasoning. So it, he's not disagreeing that it comes from the word otai. He's just explaining that there's a logic behind it. Now, could there be a difference between whether you interpret it with the logic or you just take it as katuv? Yes, it's about to tell you, right? My benayu, what would the difference be whether you take the pasuk and just say it's a, it's, it's a decree, Okay, it just means you, you have to take out one animal and only one animal and don't ask any questions or no, it has a logical reason. It makes a difference. Because if you say that it's just a decree and it doesn't make it, then let's say you take a donkey. Now, everyone knows a donkey is not going to be another paraduma. It's not, it's not even a black cow. It's not a, it's not a cow at all. So obviously it has nothing to do with paraduma. We take a donkey out. So if you take a donkey out, so according to Rabbi Shimon, that the logic, it has a logic behind it, which is that people will think oh, he's taking out, uh, you know, two parot adumot because maybe he doesn't think the first one is big enough. He's going to double it and he's going to make it from two parot adumot or whatever. Or, oh, he's going to mix the black with the red or he's going to use the black. So that would make sense when you bring another cow. But if you're bringing a donkey, everybody knows that you're not bringing the donkey to make it a part of the paraduma. So according to Rabbi Shimon, since there's a reason behind the decree, and we use the reason to establish the halakha, so therefore you could say that if you brought a, a donkey out with the cow, it would be okay. According to the uh, Rabbi Yossi, who says, no, it's just it's just a fixed rule that you may not bring anything out. When you take the paraduma out to the mountain to slaughter it, you may not bring any other animal with it. It doesn't matter what kind of animal it is. You can't even bring an elephant. Um, you just can't bring anything, right? That would just be Gzerata Katuv. That's all. Now, Vishachat Ota, it says you should slaughter it. Shelo Yishchot 
You should not slaughter anything else together with it. In other words, there shouldn't be a... Uh, uh, and seemingly what that's referring to is doing it simultaneously. In other words... Um, that's what Tosfot Yishanim says. He says, it's not Tosfot Yishanim. They weren't asleep when they wrote it. Tosfot Yishanim. Old Tosfot. Right? Older uh, Tosfot says, V'ainu imam mamash. Right? Besakin aruka. With a long knife. In other words, that you would say, well, look, I'm, I'm already doing a shechita. I might as well also uh, slaughter my dinner, whatever. So he takes a long knife and is able to do two at a time. No, nope, it can only be one shechita per animal. Now, it says Lifanav, it has to be in front of, in front of Elazar Kohen in that case, right? We already saw that according to Rav, a Kohen has to do the Shechita of the Paraduma. So therefore, when it says Lifanav, it's emphasizing that he's not allowed to distract himself. He has to have full Kavanah when he does it. Um, but according to Shmuel, the Shmuel, according to Shmuel, it's telling you that it only has to be under Kohanic supervision. But it doesn't have to actually be done by Kohen. That was the Machlokah that we learned on Shabbat. In other words, according to Shmuel, uh, the Paraduma could be slaughtered by a non-Kohen as long as it's supervised by a Kohen. And according to Rav, it has to be slaughtered by a Kohen and he just has to have full Kavanah. Then he takes the blood and he, uh, sp- he sprinkles it towards the Beit HaMikdash, even though they're not in the Beit HaMikdash, they're in the mountain across, but they sprinkle it. The reason for this, mentioning Elazar Kohen in this Pasuk, now notice how it keeps going back to excluding and including. That's what it's talking about, right? So here it's excluding now. It's saying, oh, why does it mention Elazar Kohen? Because the previous Pasuk, according to Shmuel, you didn't have to have a Kohen do it because it was the Shechita, didn't have to. But now that he's sprinkling, ah, now it's bringing it back to Elazar yesterday. Rav, what about Rav? Rav already said that the previous step had to be done by a Kohen, so he doesn't need to know that there's a, that a Kohen does this step. So, it's a double negative, which comes to include Kohen In other words, according to Rav, the first, the Shechita had to be done by Elazar, meaning it specifically had to be done by Elazar, obviously not for all generations, but meaning in that first Paraduma, the first Shechita had to be done by Elazar, according to him, but the next step doesn't have to be done by Elazar, could be done by any Kohen. Okay, so it comes out to be the same conclusion, actually, just from a different uh, vantage point. But basically, everyone agrees that it has to be done by a Kohen. It says then they have to take the other parts, the cedar wood and the hyssop branch and the shnitolat, and they have to take the... Um, the red cloth. So the Shmuel da Philip Kohen Hediot. Now, according to Shmuel, it's coming to tell you that even a Kohen Hediot can do that. That's why it says Velakacha Kohen, right? Loav it's Rich, but for Rav, you need it for something else. According to Rav, who says that you might that you might have thought, in other words, according to Shmuel, since there are parts of the process that don't require a Kohen, so when you need a Kohen, you have to mention that it needs a Kohen. So to put these other ingredients, so to speak, into the Baraduma, you need to, uh, uh, you have to put it into the burning of the Baraduma. So he needs a Pasuk for that. But Rav says that everything requires a Kohen. So what does he need it for? He still needs it for this case. Why? Because you would say, since it's not the Parah itself, lowly by Kohen. That's why he needs to tell you that you need to use a Kohen. In other words, according to Rav, anything that you need a Kohen for, it has to mention. So here, um, so here I'm sorry, for Shmuel, who said that the Shechita didn't require a Kohen, so here you have to mention that it requires a Kohen also. But for Rav, who says everything requires a Kohen, even he would say putting in these extra ingredients 
you wouldn't know that it required a kohen because it's not the paraduma, it's the extra stuff that you're putting in. So maybe you'd be able to, uh, maybe you'd be able to use a non-kohen. So it has to tell you, a kohen, right? V'chibes begadav a kohen. Then it says the kohen washes his clothing and it keeps mentioning ha-kohen. Just say v'chibes begadav, we have to make a kohen every time. Be-ki-hu-no. It's coming to tell you that he does that. Be-ki-hu-no. He has to do it um, in the state of his kihuna, meaning to say that he has to do, uh, he has to do the pr- the procedure of um, of the paradma in big day kehuna, so it's you might have thought that since it's outside the Bet Hamikdash, none of the idea of big day kehuna would apply because it's not really enough of the Bet Hamikdash. So even though it requires a kohen, maybe like if a kohen comes to look at your house and see if it has tarat, he doesn't wear big day kehuna when he comes. He's not supposed to wear big day kehuna outside the Bet Hamikdash. <coughs> so you might have thought that this process, this procedure of the paradma, doesn't require big day kehuna either, and that's why it says. Um, that you need him to be bikihuna. Do you need that's why it says vechibes begadav ha kohen? Each time it mentions a kohen to say that he has to wear the big day kehuna. If he doesn't have it, it's, uh, it doesn't work. It won't be good. What's the significance of clothing? If a doctor, what about in the bet hamikdash? What about in the bet hamikdash? You, you agree there that he has to wear a big day kehuna, right? So it's saying it's the same thing. It's like you would have thought that even that it's not considered a, a avodah. So just like he has to wear his big day kehuna when he doesn't have avodah, he has to do it this also, even though it's not strictly an avodah. It's called chatat. So he has to, right? So really, yeah, the only time that I could think of, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess when he does that, yeah, well, the Meshach Melchama, that's true, the Meshach Melchama does, yeah, that's true. But that's a different Kohen, that's a specific Kohen. Also, maybe when he does the Tarata Mitzorah, he would have to wear it. Well, it's always the foot of the words Kohen and Begadav. Yeah, in the Pasuk. right, it says, <coughs> Begadav a Kohen, saying that he has to wear the Begadim. Right, and the Kohen will be Tamei till the evening, Kohen Bekiyono Lidorot. That's telling you that not only in that generation, but for all generations, he has to wear it. So it says, according to the one who says that a regular Kohen is allowed to do the paraduma, right, which is what the halakha is. So then we understand why you need a pasuk also to tell us that in all generations, you need to, he needs to wear his big day kehuna because, because of, uh, according to this, the fir, right, because the first uh, uh, um, uh, paraduma was done by Elazar Kohen, so maybe it was unique, but for the future that the Kohen Hediot, he also has to wear it. But according to the one that says that the Kohen Gadol, in other words, you're going up in standard, you're not going down, it's becoming more strict. So then, and if we're already saying that not only is Elazar wouldn't be good enough for the future, because he was only the assistant, and he had to wear the big day Kehuna, so if we're going up in the standards, right? So for sure, it's obvious that you would require the big day kehuna because we're not going down in standard, we're going up. In other words, if you're going to say we're going down because Elazara Kohen was necessary for the first paraduma, but the future one is done by Kohen Hediot, maybe it's a lower status. But you're saying that we go up we, uh, and Elazara Kohen had to wear big day kehuna. We're going up and saying a Kohen Gadol, so certainly he has to wear uh, big day kehuna. So it says, that's a very controversial statement to make. The Gemara only makes that in last resorts in a few places. We'll say that even though we could have learned it from a Kalvachomer, the Torah will still write it sometimes. Now there's a lot of discussion. Why will the Torah write it if you can learn it from a Kalvachomer? Is it because maybe the Kalvachomer could have, uh, you might find a flaw in the Kalvachomer, it won't be perfect. There's different reasons why they say that, but the point is that sometimes even though something could be derived by logic, the Torah will still emphasize it um, and, uh, uh, you know, and make it explicit. Now, interestingly, the Kohen doesn't actually wear the Big Day Kehuna of the regular Big Day Kehuna. The Kohen wears the Big Day Lavan. He wears the, uh, he wears the clothing, uh, according to the Rambam, at least, of the Kohen Gadol. According to others, he wears white clothing, even if the Kohen Gadol 
would were to to do the paradumah, he wears a white clothing. He doesn't wear the fancy clothing of the kohen gadol. He wears the plain clothing. According to everyone, it's a, in the Mishnah and Parah. It says that he wears. Yes, he would wear the ones of Yom Kippur, the white begadim of Yom Kippur, the white begadim of Yom Kippur. Yeah. Now Vasav Ishtar says that a pure person should gather the ashes at Evra Parah so ish lachshir et azar. So it says ish taor. It doesn't say kohen taor. So now we're excluding something, right? Because everything up till now it mentioned kohen, 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 kohen. Now it says ish taor, a person. Now kohen is not the only kind of, you know. So it could be any person, right? Taor lachshir et The word taor comes to teach you that even a lady could do it. In other words, that's the gathering of the ashes. Because after you burn it, you have to gather it into a vessel, and then they pour onto that the water to complete. That's called kiddush. There's something that is the asifa which is gathering up the ashes. And then there's something called Kiddush, which is where they pour water onto the ashes before they would sprinkle it on somebody. They have to pour water onto it. How does the hotel you, Isha? It's just an extra word. Yeah. So, she would have to... It's just an extra word. And it says, and they place it. Which means somebody who has dot, somebody who has a mind to do it. So, again, it's an extra word, obviously. It's not, you know, we can't take it so literally, but the extra word that it's saying is coming to teach you. Anyone who can do the placement of it, to can, it can uh, who's, who's capable, who's mentally uh, capable, would be able to do it. So that means that uh, to exclude, so that's for the gathering of the ashes, Right? It's not. It says, it's not Adam. Learned over there. A culture in the Kaddish. Right? And therefore we learned in the Mishnah. Anybody can do the Kiddush because that's the gathering of the ashes and then the pouring of the water onto it. Chutz mechayr shoteve katan. Except for Cheshotev Katan, Chashu we call it, right? Cheshotev Katan are the three people who don't have full dot. So Cheresh is a deaf mute. Shote is somebody who you know a lot of people like that. Shote, right? The people who are mentally deficient. And then Katan is a child, right? So all three of those are not able to do the preparation of the Paraduma, the gathering of the ashes, the putting of the water to create the entity of the Paraduma, you could say. In other words, there's two things. The step is, there's three things really. One is the Avodah of the Paraduma, which is, has to be done by Kohanim, right? Then you have what's called, then you have the creation of the entity of the Paraduma ashes to be used, the Mechatat, which is called Kiddush Mechatat, the gathering of the ashes, the putting of the water, which can be done by anybody but the mentally deficient. And then you have the Hazaab, the, the throwing of the, the sprinkling of the Paraduma on a Tamei person, which we're going to see is a separate, it's a separate thing. Now, Rabbi Yudah Machshir Bekatan. Rabbi Yudah says that no, Katan is okay. But Posil Bishaubed Bandroginos. But he says a woman or an Androginos, a person who has both uh, genitalia of men and women cannot perform the kiddush mechatat. He cannot. He, she cannot create the ish, uh, ish right. He's he's saying the opposite of the chachamim. They're each saying that it's excluding something. We're going to see they're going to switch. They're going to flip sides for the for the for the other halacha. But here they're saying the rabbis are saying anybody can create the paraduma except for meaning can create the me mechatat by the mixing the <coughs> gathering mixing. Except for somebody who's deficient in their intellectually deficient, you know, it doesn't have the mental full mental responsibility. Responsibility. Rabbi Yudan says no, katan is good, but a woman is not. And it's interesting because Rabbi Yudan many places is machshir b'katan. If you look in the Mishnayot, there's many places machshir b'katan, but Megillah is machshir b'katan. Many times is machshir b'katan. It's interesting. He gives more credit to uh, katan meaning 
under, under, like I don't know if you could, a three-year-old could do it. I mean, it's talking about someone who is, yeah, under bar mitzvah. That's the basic yeah. yeah, ten-year-old probably even. Who knows? Where the rabbis get their idea? It says, They should take for the Tamei person from the ashes of the, of the chatat, right? In other words, it says after they gathered it, that they prepare it and they put the water on it, right? Then they put water on it, right? So that is that shows you that whoever gathered the ashes also can put the water, and that means anybody except the mentally deficient, according to the rabbis. Rabbi Yehuda says, if that's true, then the Pasuk should say, Why does it say they should take it? In other words, according to him, he doesn't seem to disagree that the gathering of the ashes could be done by all of these different people. He's just talking about the placing of the water because that's the completion of the process. He says, it doesn't say, It says, Even a child who can't gather the ashes, here is kosher, right? So the isha um, minale, and where does he get the idea that a woman can't do it? Vinatan velo vinatna, because it says vinatan alav ma'im chayim elkeli that he can place the water. It's a he, it's male, so that means only a man. So Rabbi Yehuda is dividing up that process into two things. He doesn't, he's not disagreeing with the chachamim that the gathering of the ashes. Like I was explaining before, they see it all as one thing: gathering the ashes, pouring the water on. That's all preparation of the. Substance. They don't care about the two. The two steps are the same. According to Rabbi Yehuda, there's one thing is gathering of the ashes. That has to be done by any mentally competent person. And then the pouring of the water there, he says that's a different thing. So he's strict in one way and lenient in one way because he says a, 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 a katan could do the pouring of the water. The Chachamim would say no. The same kind of person who gathers the ashes has to pour the water and the katan cannot do it. According to, uh, but Rabbi Yudah agrees that a woman could gather the ashes but he says she can't pour the water. The rabbi say, look, if she can gather the ashes she should also be able to pour the water. So they will exclude a katan from both and he will include a katan in the second stage and they will include a woman in both and he will exclude a woman from the pouring of the water. Right, even though it says Ma'im Chaimel Kelly, so it sounds like Kelly, the girl, is a girl's yeah. name. You know, <laughs> she should be able to so do it. Tum, tum that was all one of my drashot yeah, from the <laughs> from the old days. Yeah, <laughs> who's Kelly? That so yeah. Tum also because it has huh? to be somebody who is certainly male. Uh, right. So that's the Tosafot talks about the Tum Tum issue. He says an issue, another issue of that they're not that might not they don't have a Brit Milah. Maybe that maybe it's a male and doesn't have Brit Milah. It's another problem. Yeah, okay. I suppose yeah, probably expensive. Yeah, right. yeah, of course, for sure. Right. Well, I mean, it was all done under Kohanim supervising it. You know, for sure. If it were in the singular, like you're saying, Rabbi Yehuda, should be in the singular. So then, you might think it has to be the same person. In other words, one person has to gather the ashes, one person has to place the water because it says in singular. That's why it says that more than one person can be involved. And if it said both of them in the plural, it would sound like you need two doing it. Right? Two and two. So therefore, 
That's why it shows you that it, it that the numbers don't matter. In other words, the only reason why it switches from the plural to the singular is to show you that the number of people involved doesn't matter. It could be the same person, it could be two people, three people, five people. We don't care. But the different, the basic issue is that according to the, I mean, the more fundamental issue between the two is that the chachamim see this all as one process, and therefore whoever qualifies for gathering of ashes qualifies for placing of water. And Rabbi Yehuda clearly sees it as two different things. He sees the gathering of ashes as one thing. It just requires basic mental competence. He agrees with that. But he thinks the kiddush, the placing of the water, is a different thing. And it could include some people that are not included in the gathering of the ashes. And it could exclude some people who are included in the gathering of the ashes. Because it's a different phenomenon, according to him. Now this is talking about what we call the throwing of the para'aduma, meaning the splashing of it on a person who is becoming tahor. That's a that's a new that's a totally new thing, right? Because they could prepare the paraduma, and there's nobody right now that might need it. They need it later. It's a different mitzvah, okay? So there it says the rabbanan ish Isha. So again, it says it says v'taval b'main ish taor. Again, we have the same thing, just like it said before v'asaf ish taor. Now we have v'lakach v'taval b'main ish taor, right? Um, so the um, what, and what that means is not that he goes to the mikveh. It means that he takes a, a branch and he dips it into the water of the paraduma. V'taval b'amayim, ishtahor. A person has to apply the paraduma to somebody else. Right? So it says, what does it come to ishtahor? The rabbis will say, ish v'lo ishtahor, l'achshir katan. So they again um, uh, are interpreting these words. But this time, instead of ish, uh, instead of allowing a, a woman, they say, no, ish v'lo When it comes to hazza'ah, it comes to the, the sprinkling, ish v'lo But... So this time they're going with Rabbi Yehuda's definition, actually. The definition that Rabbi Yehuda had for the pouring of the water on the ashes, they have for the putting of the water on somebody else. They, they take the same definition, but they apply it a step further in the process, which is very interesting and, and you know, to, to think about. Now, but what does Rabbi Yehuda do? Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, Ish velo katan, He says, nope, I'm going to switch around just to bother you. He's just, he says, no, oh, you're going to go that way? I'm going to switch. Right? Okay, I'm going to say no to the katan this time and yes to the woman this time. So what I said, basically, switch, switch. Ra, he said, I'm going to switch. He just he didn't, he wants to be contrary. Right? So the chachamim went, so, so he, they, they said, we're, we're, you know what? That's a very good definition that you used there for who can pour the water on the ashes. You said that, it, you know, it, it, it could be a, a child, but not a woman. We're going to take that also, we're going to take that definition for the sprinkling on somebody. He said, no, 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 I'm going to switch my definition. You're going to, you want to, then I'm going to say, no, now it could be a, it, it could be a woman and not, and not a katan, right? He switches around. Yeah, good copyright. Right, he switches around. Now, um, and, and so that it says, so that's what, he says, Ish velo katan, ta'or Right now, the reason is because these psukim, since we're saying whenever there's a specifier, there has to exclude something. So since he already came to a, to a definition of yes, katan, no woman. So now he's going to have to do something with the new word, ishtahor, and say now it's saying no katan, yes, woman. He's going to have to switch it. Right? There is an objection to this. It says, everyone can sprinkle the para'aduma ashes on somebody else, except for tumtum bandroginos v'isha. Right, so here they have it. Right, it can't be a, a person of indefinite uh, uh, gender. It cannot be a uh, androgynous, which means that dub both, and it cannot be woman, but a katan that has mental capacity, 
Uh, a woman can even help him. In other words, let's say the boy wants to go do it and his mother helps him. She'll hold the container while he does the hazah or whatever. She can help him out. But meaning a katan, yes, ishat not. According to this. So this is exactly what Rabbi Yehuda said about the pouring of the water on the paraduma. The rabbis take that for the sprinkling of the paraduma on a person. Okay? Now, Amud Bed, Velo Palig Rabbi Yehuda. The problem is that you just said that Rabbi Yehuda switches his position here. But he didn't switch his position because there's only one opinion mentioned in the Mishnah, which is Katan, yes, Isha, no. Right? And it doesn't sound like Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. So maybe Rabbi Yehuda just carries over his definition from the Kiddush of the Mechatat to this. Maybe he doesn't switch his position. So Amar Abaye, Kevan, Amar Mor, since the Master said before, that as we go along, there are exclusionary verses and there are verses that continue the statement before. So we know that this is an exclusionary verse. It's something that has to change, that has to depart from what was stated before. If it has to depart from what was stated before, so then that means that he has to depart from the statement that he made before. And what did he say before? He said that before it was, Katan, yes, Isha, not. So then he must say, in this case, since there's another pasuk of Ishtahor, now he's going to have to say, Katan, no, Isha, yes, he's going to have to switch. So even though it's not mentioned in the Mishnah, we know from his logic that that's what he's going to have to conclude. Now it says, Wouldn't it make more sense for them to be consistent? They always no, say because ish. each pasuk has to add something. Was, why is it added? Because you already learned. Because you already said ish tor. So, so why is it saying the pasuk should be started with one, and then you have to you can you can start with a woman, and then you have to change with a child. Right, he has to keep. He has to have something. That's why he's saying we know that it has to be something new. Right. So now he says. Uh, so now he says vizator ala tamei. The tahor person has to splash it on the on the tamei person. Right. So tahor miklal shu tamei. Now, why would it call the person Tahor? It implies that he was Tameh before, meaning to say, Limed al Tevulyom Shekasher Bepara. Now, we've learned this before. This is a famous thing. This was a big argument between the Tzadokim and the rabbis. The Tzadokim said, A Tevulyom is not good for the, uh, for, for the Paraduma. The Tevulyom means a person who was Tameh until that day and just went to the Mikveh in the morning and is waiting for sunset to be fully Tahor. That's what's called Tevulyom. He went to the Mikveh today. So, according to the Tzadokim, that's no good. He, he's not fully Tahor, so he cannot splash the Paraduma on somebody else. The rabbi said, oh yes, he's definitely fully Tahor, and that's why they, uh, they, that's why they would even purposely make him Tamei, and then put him in the mikveh to say, look, he's, we hold that the Tavul Yom is good. So that, so that, they, they learn from the word Tahor. Now, Amar Rabbi Asi, Ki Havuba Rabbi Yochanan Vresh Lakish Bepara. When it, when Rabbi Yochanan Vresh Lakish were discussing the issue of Paraduma, Lo Maske Mina Ella Kemaide Masik Talami Bekrava. This is a famous saying. They, all they got was what a fox gets out of the plowed field. In other words, dirt on their feet. Meaning a fox goes in to look for some, something in the plowed field. He doesn't find any, anything interesting there because it's just dirt. Just gets like some dust, dust on his feet. So meaning when they went in, they really didn't find any a big chidushim. They learned this area and they didn't find any big novel ideas. Ela Amre, all they'd said was that mashma miad mashma. Same thing we said before, the general principle that certain psukim are meant to continue and emphasize an idea that was already set up, and certain ones are coming to exclude what was said before. Meaning one of the people who memorized Braitot, recited the following Braita in front of Rabbi Yochanan, all shchitot are acceptable by a non-Kohen, even of any korban, except for the para'aduma. Now that goes with what Rab said before. 
Rav was the one who said that a Kohen has to do the Paraduma. Amar le Rabbi Yochanan, Puk go teach that outside. They would kick people out back then. They didn't matter. They didn't care. He said something nonsense. He said, get out. Don't say that here. Go tell somebody outside. There is no Shechita that can't be done by a non-Kohen according to Rabbi Yochanan. None. Okay? Right, like Shmuel. Right, for Rabbi Yochanan. Well, actually, no, because even according to to Shmuel, the uh, power of the Kohen Gadol... Right, he said that that thou had to be done by the coin. So he, apparently he's disagreeing even with that. Right, so Rabbi Yochanan lo litana de lo So he doesn't even care about a tana. We understand that he doesn't care about a tana because a tanaim. This is not a tana of the, uh, like one of the holy rabbis. This was just a person who was reciting brightot, and they would just recite what they would just like. Yeah, it was just like. Yeah, it was just, it, it was just repeating what he what he memorized. He doesn't necessarily know. Right, so then. Rabbi Yochanan doesn't even care about his own teacher. Rabbi Yochanan quoted his own teacher who said that a non-Kohen is not allowed to slaughter the paraduva. But I think, said Rabbi Yochanan, that there's no such thing as a shkita that can't be done by a non-Kohen. That's Rabbi Yochanan's position and therefore he disagrees even with his own teacher, not only with the teacher of the Brightot, because the teachers of the Brightot were just like Google. It's like, you know, anything that comes up, it doesn't not necessarily act. So entitled right? their opinion even though it's against their Rebbe? Of course. Yeah, they could always, all the time they disagree with their uh, teachers. That doesn't mean the halacha will follow him against his Rebbe, that just means that he's allowed to disagree. Yeah. yeah, but balo et so he came to the second part, we, we, the second time, back to his own part, rather. Right? So what the procedure was, first he did the, uh, the, the first confession over the bull that was the confession for himself. Then he would go and, do, and designate the uh, goats, the one that's going to go to Azazel and the one that's going to go to Hashem. And then he would come back and he would do a second confession over his bull again. So, so right, so now we're back to Yom Kippur. My Shina Bevidur the first vidu he didn't mention the Kohanim. He only mentioned himself. And the second one he mentions all of the Kohanim. It makes sense according to the law of Midat uh, of the judgment. Because Meaning a person who is, is guilty cannot really be a good representative of somebody else who's guilty. Um, unless you're a lawyer, then they could be benched, right? <laughs> and then, but a person who is innocent should. So therefore, he already did his vidui on his own sins. And even though he said, Al-Aniu Beti, so the Mepharshim point out, Aniu Beti just means my wife, which is like, Ishtoki Gufo, it's like they're the same, right? So, so he said, myself, meaning he already confessed his own sins, so now he can confess the sins on behalf of all the Kohanim, but he wouldn't come having his own sins on him to be the representative of all the Kohanim, and that's why I mentioned that. Now, Shechato, he slaughters now the bull, finally. V'kibel, demo, and he receives the, uh, he receives the, uh, the blood in the thing that he throws it with. And he gives it to somebody who's going to stir the blood on the fourth row because the, the way that the, the um, courtyard was made was rows of stones right across the, so you would know which row it was so he would tell them stand there in the hechal now the Gemara is originally going to uh, assume that it means in the actual Kodesh, but it's going to say that it means in the courtyard, right? The reason why he had to stir it was so it wouldn't coagulate because he has a lot of other things to do before he actually throws that blood on the uh, anywhere before he sprinkles that blood. When it says so steps means it's outside the Kodesh. There's no steps in Kodesh. Remember, I mean because they're interpreting it as like rows of stones. 
There's no stones, there's no steps in that area of the Azara either. They're just steps uh, to the... Right, there's no steps in the area that he's standing there either. It doesn't mean steps, it means rows of stones. Oh, just yeah, yeah. So Natal Machta, he takes the fire He goes to the top of the altar. He moves away the coals that were on top that were the less hot. Okay. He took the ones that were the most burnt, the most you know, the ones that are from the center of the fire. And again, he, this time it says it mentions specifically the courtyard. He puts it on the fourth stone, meaning the fourth row of stones in the courtyard, because he he only has two hands. On a normal day, <coughs> they have ketorah, they have incense offering every day, morning and afternoon. So normally they would take the coals with a silver, they would dig them out with a silver container and they would put them into a golden container. They would take the golden container in, but they would dig with a silver. But he uses the same container on Yom Kippur. He doesn't have a shovel that he takes and then puts it into the pan. He uses the pan itself that he's going to bring into the Kodesh Kodeshim. He uses that to take the coals directly. Okay? Normally, he would take four kav of coals, and he would allow, when he would pour from that silver shovel into the golden pan, he would lose one kav. He would, it would fall onto the ground, and they would sweep it into the into that uh, the drain pipe uh, that they had, the amatamayim. Today he does does only the exact amount. He doesn't go beyond the exact amount. And the Rashi says basically this has to do with the, the to tire out the coin gadol because remember the coin gadol has to be working. Uh, he's up all night the night before. He barely eats on erev yom kippur. He's up the whole night and he's doing all the work and carrying all the stuff. So in order to make it easier for him, they didn't have him carrying schlepping extra heavy stuff. They gave him just to take exactly what he needed. The shloshet kabin obaya machnis. Rabbi Yossi says bechol yom chotev seah. No, Rabbi Yossi says six kabim. He would normally take a seah. Six kabim. Normally he would he would half of the coals he took down he would he would lose. He agrees that that day he would only take what he needed. Every other day they used a thick metal pan for the ketoret, but today, meaning on Yom Kippur, it was light. And again, he wants something that it's going to be easy, easy. and light for the Kohen Gadol because he's carrying around so much heavy stuff. Every other day it had a short handle. We're going to see that the technique by which the Kohen Gadol had to carry this pan and move the ketoret was so hard that if it was a heavy pan or a short handle, it would have been impossible. Possible. So they had to have all of these things as we're going to see. Yeah, it was. Uh, other days, the gold was a yellow gold. Now it was a, on this day, it was a red gold. I guess it was considered a better gold, higher quality gold. I don't know enough about gold to... I should. I'm embarrassed. My family's in that business. But... Um, but um, the red gold. Every other day was half of a right, half of the measure in the morning and half. It was half in the morning, half in the night. And obviously today there's an extra ketorot. In other words, don't think. The point is, don't think that the ketorot of the kodesh kodeshim is a substitute because you might read the Torah and think it's a substitute for the regular ketorot. It's not a substitute. You still have the regular one. This is extra. Every other day it's daka. It is just fine. Like we say, we read it in the Ketorot when we read the Ketorot. Right? It was doubly ground to be super fine. Usually when the Kohanim would go up to the altar, they would go up on the east side. Now remember, the, the ramp is, it comes out of the left of the Mizbeach. 
Okay, so when you're facing the Kodesh HaKodeshim, you're facing west. So that means that on the south side of the Mizbech coming down is the ramp. When you would go up, if you go up on the east side of the ramp, you're going to the right, the right lane. You go around the Mizbech and you come down, you come down on the right side because you're coming down on the, on the west of, that, uh, of the uh, ramp. So that would be you're always on the right. But the Kohen Gadol walks up in the middle and he walks down in the middle. And interestingly, Rashi says, it shows his honor. And it shows uh, the, uh, the, the, the belovedness of the Jewish people, how dear they are, that, that he's so close to Hashem that he, uh, you know, that he has this special zechut that he can walk straight up the middle of the ramp. You know, I guess it's considered to be a greater honor and a greater zechut. Bechol yom, and Rabbi Yehuda says, That's not true that it was only on Yom Kippur. Actually, any time the Kohen Gadol officiated any service, he did the same. He walked in the middle. Every other day, the Kohen Gadol would wash his hands and feet from the regular spout like everybody else. But today, meaning on Yom Kippur, he would wash his hands and feet from a special golden uh, a golden pitcher. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, So these are all things where there's a dispute whether this was unique to Yom Kippur, or whether this was just the Kohen Gadol's practice all the time. Washing from a special pitcher, golden pitcher, was that every day or only Yom Kippur? Every other day there were four pyres of wood on the Mizbech. That day there were five. That's Rabbi Meir's opinion. The Gemara is going to explain why four, why five. Everyone is agreeing that there was one extra one on Yom Kippur. The question is how many were there on a regular day? Two, three, or four? Right, everybody agrees that there was an extra one from which the Kohen Gadol would take the coals to bring the ketorah to bring the incense into the kosher kodeshim. The question is, what were they? Did they normally have? So, according to Rabbi Meir, since they normally had four on Yom Kippur, they had five. According to Rabbi Yossi, they were normally three, and on that day they were four. Right on that day, there were normally there were three, there were two, and on that day there were three. Now, everybody agrees that there's one extra. It's x plus one. Whatever x is, it's x plus one. What x is, we don't know. We have to solve for x. The Gemara will solve for x. We'll discuss what the reason is for that. But just one line of the Gemara: He says you have to correct the Mishnah because it wasn't that the the. It sounds from the Mishnah that the Kohen Gadol slaughtered the bull and the blood was held by somebody who was stirring it in the fourth row of stones inside the Hechal, inside the Kodesh. That wasn't the case. It was outside. It was also in the courtyard, in front of the Hechal. That's why it says Behechal. It means from the Hechal, four rows in. It doesn't mean four rows inside the Hechal. It means once you're outside the Hechal, if you walk four rows from there, that's where the guy would hold it um, and stir it, waiting for the Kohen Gadol. So, we continue. Here.